morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Do you ever feel like sometimes we live in a crazy world? Yeah. I do. Sometimes I, I, I wonder about all the information we have access to, of all the terrible things we can learn about from all around the world. Sometimes it's overwhelming. It's intense. Sometimes we wonder, what does God have planned? Sometimes we're tempted to forget that God is sovereign. And what's that mean? That means that God knows everything, and God is in control of every little aspect of everything that's going on. Nothing catches him by surprise. He is overseeing everything. And this is really a comfort to me, especially because we live in a time in which there are many people, sometimes in our own lives and sometimes people we have no connection to other than we read about them in the news, who think they're big stuff who think that they've got everything under control and they think that they're in charge. But we know that in the end, God is sovereign over all things and over all people. And this is so true for us as we learn from Daniel chapter 2. We find out that God is all-knowing. That means he knows everything and he's omniscient. And we're going to find out and learn that he is sovereign. Now, what does all of that have to do for all of us? It's interesting. You might wonder, as we learn some things from today, we're going to actually learn some prophecy. And you might wonder, what in the world does this have to do with us? Well, let me rephrase that question. There's some prophecy of events that are still yet future we're going to learn about today. And I have a great question. What did it have to do with Nebuchadnezzar? What did it have to do with the king of Babylon? I strongly believe that what applications prophecy had for Nebuchadnezzar way back over 2,000, 2,500 years ago is the same lesson prophecy has for us today. To encourage us as we see the world falling apart, as we see the world changing, as we see the world in some ways blowing up, to know first that our God is sovereign to secondly know that our God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. And thirdly, in his sovereign plan, he will accomplish his purpose. And we're going to find that no matter what man is doing or thinking, God will reign supreme. God is the victor over all. And even in our time now, just as it was true in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, that should cause every one of us, whether we are a child or the king, to bow before this God and worship him. So let's begin here with a word of prayer. Gracious God, we give thanks to you for your love for us, your goodness, how great you are. We praise you this day and thank you that you care about each one of us and that you are sovereign over all things. May we humbly walk with you. 
May we know you more, and may you glorify yourself through us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would teach us today from the examples of all the different peoples and characters we come into contact with and help us to know more, but more importantly, may it strengthen our relationship with you as we know you more. Lord, as Brother Toole mentioned a moment ago, we lift up to you Cassidy. We pray that you will lead him and guide him into truth, that you'll be with Brother Toole as he seeks to witness and share truth with him. Lord, we also lift up Brother Toole as he now travels to his visit, his parents in Illinois. Pray that you'll give him safety and a special time with his parents and be with us here. We seek you now and we pray in your name. Amen. Have I ever told you how much I like getting question cards? I got one last week that was really important. It says, you said, I said, obey first, then appeal. But do you believe that Daniel ate the meat offered prior to the appeal? How many of you think that Daniel ate, ate the food and then he appealed? How many of you think that he didn't eat the food and then he appealed? Oh, good, you got it, good. I didn't hope, I just hope I didn't confuse you. So, when I said obey first, then appeal, what is an important qualifier to that? Yes? Do you obey? That's right. You're exactly right. Obey first. Always obey first. And always remember, we ought to obey God rather than men. And so if the command being given by anyone whether it be the great King Nebuchadnezzar or mom or dad, if it is in direct defiance of what God has clearly said, obey God rather than men. Always obey. And if it's an issue that is, that is a moral issue, meaning it has a right and a wrong before God, you do what is right before God. Now, last week we talked about some things that aren't necessarily moral issues, are they? You know, like chewing gum, right? Mom and dad might say not to chew gum. In that case, what does God want you to do? To obey your parents. And so there, in that case, you would obey, then appeal. And in obeying God, you would obey your parents. So I am thankful for that question because that is a very important clarification to be made. It's very important, yes, indeed, to obey first and then to appeal. But always remember that when we obey, we obey God first. And if there's any contradiction to what God has said, God is the supreme authority, and we obey him first. So keep the questions coming. I had another question, and that had to do with when I said, how should you obey um, even when you don't, even when your appeal is declined? And I mimicked the sulking person, and we all decided that the sulking, pouting person is not the way to obey, right? And I kind of made the, you obey, yes, didn't I? Well, does that mean that on the inside you're necessarily going to feel that way? No, you're not going to necessarily feel excited about it. You're going to be disappointed. So what do you do with that disappointment is very important. You don't suppress it. What I mean by that? Just hold it in by just sheer willpower, hold it in. And, and, and this, is, this is different for different people, but ultimately, we could describe that process of suppression in different ways because different people do it in different ways. But we need to be careful in how we do it. 
I'm going to give you one suggestion that I think is most of the time the best way to deal with it. And that is when you have a disappointment, or as sometimes the Bible talks about it, a hope deferred, an expectation that has not come to pass, take that and don't suppress it, but give it to God. Give it to God and ask God to give you his joy that you can then obey with your whole heart. The question here is obedience. In this case, it's obedience. They're different. And obedience does need to be with your whole heart. And sometimes on the inside, you don't feel like obeying, do you? No, not always do we feel like obeying on the inside. But in those times, we need to give our feelings up to God. I didn't say suppress them. Give them up to God. And then by his grace and in his strength, obey with our whole heart. That's what we see Daniel doing over and over in his life. Daniel is one who seeks his God. Well, here we are in Daniel chapter 2. We have just learned about Daniel standing strong and true. His three friends standing strong and true to God. They are found at the end of three years to be ten times wiser than everyone else. And here we read in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, and in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams. Well, here we find him in his second year. Well, we know that Daniel and his three friends were tested for three years. And we also know that Daniel was taken to Babylon shortly before Nebuchadnezzar actually was officially king. So these events are taking place either just before, which is what I think it is, or just after their three-year trial. Now, there's something else to remember in all of this. This, the events of this chapter take place many years, many years before Jerusalem is destroyed. Jerusalem is still a city back in Jerusalem. There is still Jeremiah back in Jerusalem teaching. In fact, Ezekiel's still back in the Holy Land. He hasn't even been carried away captive. These events are taking place early on. And it's intriguing because about this time, Nebuchadnezzar is thinking of himself as being greater and greater and greater. Here he has these Jewish captives. He has captives from Egypt. He has captives from Syria. He has captives from, Ass from Assyria. He is taking over the world. In his impression, in his opinion, Jerusalem is his. He's just let Jehoiakim stay king. In fact, it actually says that Nebuchadnezzar appointed Jehoiakim as king. So Nebuchadnezzar, he's convinced, I am the king of of kings. And is he wrong? No, he's actually quite right. Because even Jehoiakim, who's still king back in Jerusalem, is only king because he's letting him. And in fact, the whole reason why Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and others are in Babylon is because they're hostages. Meaning that if Jehoiakim doesn't behave himself back in Jerusalem, off with their head. They're hostages. 
And now he's going to dream a dream. I wonder if this is a combination. I know it's directly God being involved, but I also wonder if it had to do a little bit with Nebuchadnezzar's perspective of himself that he had this dream. But this dream troubled him. Ah, we've got a Nebuchadnezzar here. You ever had rough nights? Yes. Yeah? You ever had dreams you didn't like? Yeah. Yeah? Me too. Dreams that troubled you? Maybe a couple. <laughs> Spirits troubled? Oh, I don't think they're bad as Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had one of those dreams. You want to go sit on your throne with your crown? He had one of those dreams where his trouble, his spirit was very troubled. And it was one of those dreams where he didn't just lay back and go to sleep. And I'm getting the impression it wasn't one of those dreams where you wanted to just go back to dreaming. You'd rather not have been had the dream. So here, imagine, it's in the middle of the night. We don't know what time of day it is, but nonetheless, his sleep, it says, break from him. He couldn't sleep. And so he gets up, and he issues a command. Call the magicians, the astrologers, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dream. Ah, so we've got to get all of these people together. So where are they? Are you one of them? Yeah, you're one of them. You get up there. Hurry up. Yes, and you too, you get up there. The king's calling for you. Let's see, are you going to be one of them? Yes, you're one of them. Get up there. You going to be one of them? Go, go. Let's see here. We're going to keep you guys for later, right? Because we've got, but no, this one here, he's, you're not one of them. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. Okay, you got to say, you know, you guys, you guys go over there back in that room. You three. Let's see here. And I'm going to be Daniel this week. Oh, are you one of these guys? Yeah, get up there. The king's calling for you. Now, you're all coming here, but you know what? This might have been in the middle of the night. Probably was in the middle of the night because his sleep broke from him. So all of the, these are assembled together. You guys have any idea why you're here? Nope. No idea. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a heads up. Really, in many ways, these guys were not good people. These were people who used deception, treachery, and demonism to advise the king. In fact, in some of the arts and the things you all were trained to do are the things that were trying to be trained Daniel to be and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to be, to be these people. The Chaldeans here are are also sometimes known as wise men. And so you all come and you stand before the king, and the king says unto you, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The thing is gone for me. If you will not make known unto me the dream, with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. 
But if ye show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. Now pause just for a moment. How come you guys are smiling? How many of you know, just imagine he's not Nebuchadnezzar. That's just Jed. How many of you know what Jed dreamed last night? Any of you know what Jed dreamed last night? You didn't tell him at breakfast? I did tell him. Oh, you did? <laughs> you, you see? How many of you know dreams? I sure don't know dreams. Do you even know what you dreamed last night? That I was three inches taller than my older brother. Oh, my. <laughs> Take no thought for thy stature. <laughs> That's an interesting dream. <laughs> ah, yes. But see, sometimes we don't remember our dreams. And certainly you wouldn't know his dream. You know what he dreamed? Nope. Well, now that he told me. And, and here's, here's the thing. Did you hear what he said? If you don't tell him what he dreamed, you're going to be chopped up in pieces. Philip, do you want chopped up in pieces? No. Then why are you smiling? Because he just now said that if you don't tell him what he dreamed, you're going to get chopped up in pieces. This is disturbing. Is that disturbing to you? Yeah, me too. Oh, ew. and not only that, he's going to destroy your house. He doesn't say it very nice either. Oh. Well, they say to him, oh, you know. Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. I know of a certainty that ye would gain the time, because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if you will not make known the dream unto me, there is but one decree for you, for ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me, till the time be changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things at any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with Destroy flesh. all the wise men of Babylon. Don't move. He's here. Hey, you get that guy sneaking off there. We'll track him down. We'll track him down. We'll track him down. Let him go for now. Let him go for now. Let's just, you, you all, you stay right there. The king just ordered that you get destroyed. And not just you guys here who got woken up in the middle of the night. But you looking around? Not all the wise men are here. Who are some of the other wise men? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. There's a whole lot more who have been ordered to be destroyed. The king, he is angry, it says, and he is very furious. You see, your majesty, you're getting smart. It's only in his second year as king. And he's starting to figure out that when he tells you guys his dreams over breakfast or whenever, and you guys give him these really incredible interpretations, he's starting to question you guys. You're not so sure about what these guys have been telling you your dreams mean, are you? No. 
So he's going to test them. If they really can interpret dreams, then they ought to be able to tell him what he dreamed. Right? Well, was this wise man here? That guy that got you kind of snuck off. This guy here, was he wrong in what he said? Yes or no? No. Did you notice what he said? He says, there is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Nobody can do this. And then he went on to say, that's why no kings demand this. Ooh, that was bold. But yet he had good reason. And then he goes on and he makes this point. This is only except the gods. And he made this point interesting too. Whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now I think I take a little issue with him there. Why? Well, actually in the next chapter, we're going to find out that God sometimes does come down and be with men in flesh. And there's a day coming when he will be Emmanuel. But he's right in this. Only, well, let me modify what he said. He said the gods. Let me modify it. Only the God knows what you dreamed. He's right. But nonetheless, Nebuchadnezzar orders the destruction. I have to wonder, you know they talk about politicians um, never missing an opportunity. I think he's been wanting to get rid of these guys for a long time, and now is his opportunity. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's what's going on here. But I think he's also truly troubled by his dream. He is truly troubled by that dream. Had it really departed from him? I don't know. It may have, or it may have just been fuzzy. He may have just needed a detail clarified for him. Nonetheless, he used it as a test for these people. So here we've got a few of them rounded up. Yep, don't move. But the king's commanded for all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed. Destroy them all. So go get the rest of them. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. The king has, you are all sentenced to death. I don't think they were laughing. <laughs> now imagine for a moment that I'm Daniel in here, okay? I'm Daniel too. And these, these are my three friends. I'm going to play Daniel this week. We have what? You along with the other wise men are sentenced to death. Why is the decree so hasty from the king? The king had a dream and demands that the wise men of Babylon tell him what he dreamed with the interpretation thereof. Since they cannot, he decreed that they all be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill. Bring me to the king. So you guys stay here. I'll be back. Your Majesty, I desire of His Majesty that He would give me time, that I may show the King His dream and the interpretation. 
Do you know what? He gives it. I don't get chopped in pieces. And neither do the rest of you. You know what? I'm given the time. That's interesting. That's interesting to me because earlier, it seemed that these guys had asked for time, and what did he say about it? You're not getting time. But Daniel received time. This tells me that already Daniel had a reputation in Nebuchadnezzar's eyes. Daniel, he went back to his house. And it says that he made known to his three friends what was taking place. He made known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. We need to desire the mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret that we perish not with the rest of the men of Babylon. You know what they did? They prayed. Daniel's faith. He didn't know the dream, but he knew that the God of heaven knew the dream. Now it tells us here in verse 19, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Was it the same night? Was it the next night? don't know. But God revealed it to Daniel, both the dream and the interpretation. And I want you to follow closely with me in verses 20 through 23. For in this, when God revealed it to him, Daniel prayed, blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. May I recommend to you that what Daniel did here in blessing the name of the Lord is something we need to do every day. You know, we also need to be praying every day. We also need to be recognizing that every day we lack wisdom. Daniel's wisdom, it tells us in chapter 1, came from God. Can I tell you bluntly? All real wisdom ultimately comes from God. Daniel understood that and knew it. And in this dilemma, and believe me, I don't think many of us have been faced with this kind of a dilemma, the answer comes from God. Let us trust him. 
and bless his name forever and ever. So what happens? Well, you know Mr. Guard over there? There's lots of people guarding all these guys all around. It tells us in verse 24 that Daniel went unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he said unto them, I'm going to change his words just for fun. You tell me if you can see what I change. Destroy all those wicked pagan people over there. I'll tell the king the message. Is that what Daniel said? It's very interesting that he did not say that. That's significant. You see, all of what those guys are over there, under the law of Moses, decrees that you all not live. Do you know that? All the sorcery and the witchcraft, the soothsayers, all of that, that most of you were involved in, I say most because guess what? <gasps> Daniel was one of you was all evil. Most of what was done was evil. And under the Mosaic law, you would die. So you would think that Daniel, the prophet, would certainly apply the Mosaic law in this situation, wouldn't he? Now that he has influence, wouldn't he? He doesn't. Why? Because he's not in the theocratic kingdom of Israel. He's a subject in a kingdom totally separate from Israel. The Mosaic law was a law for the nation of Israel. This is a very important distinction to be careful of. Even in America, we don't live in a theocracy. Israel was a unique theocracy. In this case here, this is not a theocracy. Daniel doesn't have that kind of power or authority. In fact, look what he actually does say. Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Don't destroy them. You know, I think that had a huge impact on all of you. And I think it had a huge impact on all of your followers. Because I'm going to give you a little hint. As history proceeds, we learn about some wise men from the East. They were people who followed, if we study it carefully, very likely in the ways of Daniel for several hundred years looking for the Messiah. But we'll get to that another time, just a little tidbit. But perhaps it traces back to this day when Daniel stepped forward and said, don't destroy them, but bring me to the king. I will show unto the king the interpretation. I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. Art thou able to tell me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed what should come to pass hereafter. And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. 
But as for me, the secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his feet part of iron and part of clay. His head was of gold, fine gold, and his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet of part iron and part clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them in pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the shaft of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. He got it right. God had truly revealed it to him. Daniel revealed to him the dream. But what does it all mean? Daniel continued, this is the dream and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art the head of gold. You are the king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given into thy hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee, probably didn't want to hear that, after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bow rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron is that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, and there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with the miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king 
what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof, sure. Now, did you all get that? I wonder how much Nebuchadnezzar actually got of it all. I like to explain it a little bit. You guys, you want to go back to your seats? Hey, you guys there, my three companion friends, you want to go back to your seats? Can you stay here for a minute? This image, I know one of my kids says we have to have Nebuchadnezzar sitting here. Here's his hanging gardens. This vision, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, Daniel, he explained it to him. This is a picture of the kingdoms. It's a symbol of kingdoms. The symbol of kingdoms. We have the gold head, the breast and arms of silver, the belly and the thighs of brass, the legs of iron, and the feet and toes of iron mixed with clay. Sounds like a pretty wobbly structure, doesn't it? Newsflash, all kingdoms are pretty wobbly. The greatest is the head of gold. Who did Daniel say was the head of gold? King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar. You are the head of gold. But in that prophecy, he kind of said, after you. Mm. Do you like thinking about after you? Nope. After him comes another kingdom inferior to you. Yes, you are the great Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. But there's another kingdom coming. As we learn from history, this is yet 60, 70 years away. Babylon, who is the greatest, falls to the medieval Persian Empire, symbolized by the two arms. Cyrus the Great, he is one of the great kings of the medieval Persian Empire. That comes in 538 BC. And after that is a third kingdom the brass, the Greek Empire. What's intriguing about this is that even the metals in some ways line up to these kind of kingdoms, less inferior, but you're the Greek Empire. Alexander the Great being one of their great kings. Then we have the legs of iron, which is symbolizing the Roman Empire. These here are all ancient kingdoms. And it's interesting to see then we have those feet of iron and clay, and some have referred to this as the revived Roman Empire, where really it's this the a culmination of all kinds of different kingdoms, really. But there's, there's some trouble that's going to come. And in fact, in the future, we find other prophecies in Daniel and in other places about future kingdoms, even future to us today. And of all of this, I'm amazed at how many times I see this depiction, and all I ever see depicted is that image. You know, the image is not that special. Sorry, Nebuchadnezzar. You get focused on this image. I'm going to give you a secret. In the next chapter, we learn about Nebuchadnezzar making an image. And you know what? It doesn't have gold, silver, bronze, iron. It's all gold. Seems as if he didn't really get this all. It's all gold. But as I said a moment ago, the image isn't the issue. It's the stone that's cut without hands. I like to imagine it's a diamond stone. Cut without hands. It smashes this image. This image representing all human kingdoms is smashed. And what is this? This is the eternal kingdom of God. 
beginning with the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, at the end of which he will deliver that kingdom up to his Father as we enter into what is called the eternal state or the time of eternity forever future. And so, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the great king. You're the great king. You're the golden king. But you'll be replaced. And you know what's odd? I'm not Daniel. Just imagine. You know what's kind of sick about it? Is that you're going to get replaced by an inferior kingdom. That's a little weird, isn't it? But isn't that the way it happens so often? So often in human kingdoms, they become inferior. But in all of this, the point of this is the God who has revealed, given you this dream, and now through Daniel has revealed it to you. Did you catch there where Daniel said, we will give you the interpretation? You know who he's talking about? God. God! God through me is going to give you the interpretation. And the whole focus of all of this dream, this vision, is not just to lay out the order of events that are coming, but to demonstrate to Nebuchadnezzar, to Daniel, and to all of us today that God knows the end from the beginning, that God is sovereign over all, that in the end God will reign supreme over all, And therefore, we can praise him and trust him today no matter what we're experiencing, no matter who's in charge as government. We know God is sovereign. He sets up kings, Daniel said. He takes them down. Yes, that doesn't mean we sit back and say, yeah, God, in our privileged society and government of a representative republic can say, oh, well, I'm not having nothing to do with it. In fact, actually, yesterday was Constitutional Day when our Constitution was affirmed, was ratified. And in that, in the very preamble of it, it speaks of us and our posterity. You might say them and their posterity, that's us, seeking and endeavoring to secure the blessings of liberty we have. So yes, we are involved and engaged as we have been privileged in a constitutional republic as we have. Daniel didn't have that privilege. But in all of it, we have to recognize the same message that Nebuchadnezzar needed, that Daniel needed, that we need. God's supreme. God does is the one ultimately setting up the kings. He's ultimately the one taking them down. And ultimately, in the end, just as Jesus promised, he is coming back, and he will reign. He will be supreme. He will be nothing to do with the kingdoms of this world or of man. He will be entirely separate and distinct as a stone cut without hands that became a great mountain that fills the earth. He'll win. And so whenever we are struggling, this reality, it's reality. Prophecy is not just something that's future. Prophecy is reality today. It is so sure, it's as if it already happened. That's what all of this was. And so when we deal with our struggles, we can look to the future, knowing that the end is as if it's already happened when the God of heaven will reign supreme and all of the troubles and problems of government, as we're going to find out in the next chapter. I, <clears throat> I mean, give you, you think we have a hard time in our governments nowadays. You know what he does in the next chapter? And you're going to have a hard time with this after you hear what he says. 
But in the next chapter, he builds an image all of gold, and he tells everybody to worship this image of gold. You know who the image of gold is supposed to represent? <clears throat> and if you don't, you'll get thrown in the furnace of fire. I wonder if part of the reason why Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in the next chapter, I know you all know the head of the story. Maybe you don't. Well, make sure you come back next week to find out. We're able to stand true and strong when commanded by this demagogue. Sorry for calling you names, but that's what he is. He is a very cruel, vicious king in the next chapter. Orders people who don't worship his image to be thrown in the furnace of fire. I have to wonder if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not stand there and stand tall and true and strong in faith that he is just the head of gold. And God said not to worship any graven image. And that God is more powerful than him. It's that God who set him up, and it's that God who will take him down, will take him down. And it is that God whose kingdom will endure forever and ever. And so when I am faced with the choice of obeying king or God, when they're not in agreement, you know, if they were in agreement, that would be awesome. But when they're not in agreement... I choose to worship the one whose kingdom will endure forever and ever and ever because of that stone, the picture of that stone cut without hands. So let us, let us do as Daniel and bless our God, not only for the wisdom that he gives us, but also for revealing to us secrets. You guys all are just let in on a secret. Yeah, okay. We already knew about Greece and Medial Persia and, 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 and Rome. We, yeah, we, well, that's all history to us. That was a big deal in Daniel's day. That was a big secret to him. In fact, later on, actually, in Daniel, not only is it just these kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, they're named. They're named. But with all of this, we have, we have a secret. And it's not a secret because anybody who has a Bible can know it. We know the end. And so when we are struggling through this life, in whatever struggle we're dealing with, let's look to the solid rock, the King of kings, Jesus Christ. Blessed God and Heavenly Father, we praise you and worship you, love you. Thank you for revealing truth, history, and future to us. May it change our lives. May we be a people who truly know you who trust you. Change us, draw us to yourself, and glorify yourself in us, we pray. Amen.